Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris. And today we are talking about climbing Aconcagua. Um, Alex came onto the show. He went and did this solo by himself. And we discussed loads of really good information. But just before we get into it, I just wanted to apologise just quickly. Uh, it is lockdown. We are doing these things over the internet. And sometimes the signal goes a little bit funny. But I hope you don't notice it too much. Otherwise, Alex's information and anecdotes are just incredible, and I really hope you enjoy the podcast. So let's just get straight into it. Hello, Alex. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Brilliant, Chris. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me on. Yeah, it's been a fantastic day. Um, done some climbing. It was hot. Only We only sank up to our knees and the walking in bog, so it's all good. Yeah, perfect. North Wales, didn't you say? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, sort of mid, mid to North Wales, um, near Aberystwyth, if anyone that climbs around that area. Quite nice dry rocks. Um, yeah. Sort of the first dry weekend in a few. And it's really good. Now that we're allowed out in, in Wales, of course. Of course, yeah, because you've had different rules, haven't you? Like, I think you've really just opened up um, Brecon Beacons, I think, as well. Yeah, the, some of the national bits of the national parks have just reopened here, um, and uh, people have been allowed uh, to sort of extend their journeys for more than five miles uh, recently. And I think from Monday, I think uh, then um, other other people are allowed to come and visit. Uh, so if it, when you're listening when you're listening to this podcast uh, in uh, month month time, um, <laughs> you'll know you'll you'll yeah, you'll know whether this has been a good idea or not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because we'll just be like wincing at, at that at a second yeah, wave and everyone's locked down again, all be cheering and drinking beer um, <laughs> at a distance <laughs> until the vaccine comes. Anyway, different conversation. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's actually a really brilliant segue into uh, into you. So a bit of an instruction for the listeners, um, as I've already probably given at this point with the intro of the episode, you climbed Aconcagua by yourself, uh, which is a pretty nails thing to do. Fair play. Um but it's probably good to go into a bit of background on you as well, just to just to go through some accomplishments and 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 what you get up to. Usually, you've already mentioned you went climbing today, uh, but also if anything, just to deter anyone who's sat on the couch their whole life, they listen to this podcast and they go, "I'm going to go do Aconcagua by myself." So, so yeah, what, what's a bit of background on you? What what experience have you got? Well, so um, I mean, so I say I went climbing today. I've actually only, believe it or not. And this might surprise some listeners who think so. I'll go off and do Aconcagua solo. Must be some kind of badass mountaineer. Uh, I've actually really only just started uh, sort of rock climbing as as a sport. I go and enjoy. Um, uh, well, what in the UK, you know, it's, it's called sort of trad climbing, which um, to anyone overseas uh, means basically putting stuff in the rock rather than using bolted protection. Um, and I've only really just started that. Um, so I, I've, I've really been into sort of mountain walking and running and sort of long distance journeys uh, for most of my life. Uh, I've um, been working for about, but before, uh, before this summer, I worked for about eight years in the outdoors industry. So I worked as a mountain leader, uh, an international mountain leader, so in the UK and Europe, and some overseas expeditions. Um, and I really got into organising my own expedition about myself back in. 2011 with a trip to Svalbard. I went for a month with a group of friends and we just got dropped off by a boat on the glacier in the middle of nowhere and spent uh, high mountains camping on the glacier on the ice cap, um, dragging sleds up uh, stupidly steep passes that we regretted almost instantly. 
Uh, and yeah, just generally enjoying ourselves and trying not to be eaten by a polar bear. Uh, so that was a really good trip. And that sort of started sort of um, belief that um, uh, the organising things um, yourself and myself can be, can be a fun thing to do. Uh, and that sort of led naturally into sort of my career in the outdoors. Um, one of the reasons, when I say up until now, one of the reasons I had this winter off to go and climb Aconcagua is that I'm sort of doing a bit of a career move into teaching at the moment. So I was due to start um, uh, teaching in, in April for the summer term for school. That's obviously, and I, and I did, but I've been doing it obviously all online. Um, so I still haven't actually seen any of the kids apart from on the, on the videos. So it's, um, yeah, it's been an odd term, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to actually going there. It's, but that's why I had the winter off. I was able. Yeah. Sure. And that, that that brought you over to South America in the in the position to go do it. So did you fly out there purposefully to do it, or or was it just a case where you were in the area and you thought, actually, why don't I just grab the permit? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If only it was that. No. It it it, it does take a bit more organisation. I think because it, it it's, there's so much extra to think about. So. I decided probably in November that I was going to fly out and that I was going to take six months to sort of go around uh, Argentina and Chile because um, I really want to go there. And so, you know, I've heard a lot of good things about Argentina, uh, which were all true. It's a great place to go. Uh, definitely recommend it if you don't like climbing mountains. If you like wine, it's great as well. Um, <laughs> and actually, uh, so so that, that that was my first adventure. I've got to, I'll fly and go in Argentina where it's that sort of the base Space or Aconcagua, very useful place to go. Got loads of gear shops, loads of rental places, loads of uh, places to hire guides or join guided trips. Well, there's a lot going on there. It's also where it's probably 70% of Argentinian wine is very well combined wine drinking and mountaineering and sort of extra deluxe holiday. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty nice city. Um, but yeah, so I flew out there, uh, it's sort of second to last week of January. Uh, with the intention of, of that being my main objective. And then the permit, so you, you, you get 21 days or 20 days in the National Park. Once you've entered the National Park, your permit gets that long, which is a reasonably good amount of time, um, yeah. considering it only takes, well, e even if you're climbing as on the way, it takes about three days to get to base camp uh, from the park entrance. So that gives How much does it cost as well? Well, the cost, so the cost of the permit, I think, is probably the biggest... Um, sort of uh, cooking stone. It was pretty much the same as cost as the flight. Uh, it's so there's an on season and off season, uh, uh, well, high and low seasons. The high season, which is sort of just it's $800, um, and then off season, it's about 650 It changes, so I recommend checking that up. Um, but there's two routes, there are two main sort of what are called trekking routes. Up, up Aconcagua, you've got what's called the normal route or the Hoconis route, and then you've got the Vacas route, which is it's just, it's just a different valley. They sort of run parallel to each other, and then obviously meet on the top. You know, people. Do. So th there are benefits uh, to, to, to doing either disadvantages. Um, I chose to do the Hoconis normal route, um, mostly well because actually because I was doing it solo, I wanted there to be more people around. To be honest, it's partly a safety thing. Uh, and mm -hmm. also to be to be blunt, it was it, well, the permit's cheaper <laughs> than going on the back <laughs> so, uh, by about two hundred dollars. And at that point, every save uh, I I'd never been there before, so I didn't have a preference um, which route. 
but uh, I, I understand on the backcast route there's some slight more wildlife, but I am um, I is already acclimatized somewhere else in Argentina where there was plenty of wildlife. So I've seen loads of cool stuff. Um, so my main strategy there was more people around, give myself a bit more security, which works, it's brilliant. Um, base camp was excellent, loads of other climbers always felt there was someone else to chat to. Um, and, and yeah, also, it's just easier with the logistics. You've got enough to sort out yourself without trying to get to a totally different valley at the start. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my, my I, I guess my main goal when I was there, of course, was, you know, was, was as well. Um, so I, I wanted to acclimatise in a different place. So if, for those of you that have done high uh, mountains, um, obviously you have to acclimatise at some point. Um, you have to get used to the altitude. So you're, you're just generally a happier person. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and also, uh, ideally not sick or dead, which is always good in going to the summit. Um, yeah, so a, a lot of people that acclimatise for specific mountains, they go to that mountain, they get to the base, and they sort of go up and down and up and down on the trail, maybe doing food dumps or dropping some you know, supplies or leaving the tents higher up. So like going up to Camp 1 and back to Space Camp and Camp 2 and sleep at Camp 1. So they do these sort of um, almost, uh, uh, you know, they're rotations. repeating the same trail. Yeah, rotations, which, you know, and, and I totally can understand what a lot of guided people, but, you know, it gives you the security of having a base camp, you know, the area, you can get settled in, you can enjoy yourself. But I kind of wanted to explore. So I, I went to actually, and I'd recommend this to actually going um, to the area, even if you don't want to do anything accurate. Um, if just about an hour, no, it's about two hours drive from Mendoza, same city, uh, you get to a place called Velocitos, um, so, which is a, actually a ski resort. There's a mountain hut there that is something in the winter, of, when they're winter, so June, um, yeah. of, is, um, is a ski resort. But in uh, our winter, their summer, um, is a mountain hut. So there are loads of really great uh, trekking trails up there. Uh, and you can get a taxi. I just got like, uh, I, I got a lift from um, the, um, the people that own the actual mountain hut. I just sent them a message on WhatsApp and they picked me up in the morning and took me all the way up there. So it's very easy to organize. Um, oh, wow. And that mountain hut's at 3,000 meters. So that's a great place to sleep for a few nights, do some localized trek and get used to that altitude. I did a 3,800 meter peak and a 4,000 meter there. Um, really beautiful, like stunningly beautiful. Loads of wildlife. Um, the whole mountain range there is called the Cordon del Plata, which means they're the Cord of Silver, which is a great name for a mountain range. Um, and you can get up to the highest peak. So there are a few 5,000ers there as well. Um, and so over a week, I, I was there for about a week, and the highest I climbed was. Um, uh, five thousand nine hundred and fifty-four. So basically, nearly a thousand, uh, which yes. is um, which is Cerro Plata, uh, which is quite 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 a major peak um, around there. And, and that was a really you can good. See Aconcagua at any point? You can. Yeah. It, oh. the, the, the weird thing about the the six thousand meter peaks in that region of the Andes is they're actually quite individual. So it's not like you, you don't get. It's not like in the Alps where you get you know, four thousand meter peaks all kind of joined together in one long ridge. They're really kind of, you know, Aconcagua is an enormous lump that it sort of stands nowhere near, there's no other 6,000. I mean, you can, you can see them sort of in the distance, but they're not like next to each other. So they're really quite individual peaks. 
which makes it sort of more of a, a when you start to rise up, you know, above 6,000 meters when you're actually, it really feels like you are the highest uh, for a long way around you. Uh, so yeah, you can I, I can see it because it's actually quite perfect at the time. Because <laughs> I you know I got to five thousand nine hundred, and I was like pretty knackered. I was kind of slept. So our, our base camp, well, our high camp, um, Sarah Plaza was uh, four thousand three hundred or something. So, so that, that's a good place to sleep. You know, I was there for two nights, uh, and that's the same height as I can carry your base camp. So it meant that later when I got to I can carry your base camp, I'd already I'd, I was already well acclimatized to that height, yeah. um, which is quite a nice feeling. Um, yes, I got to 5,900 and so I looked over and I said, I'm another thousand years higher than this. And I was pretty exhausted, <laughs> which is only to be expected. I mean, that's the whole logical thing about altitude. Like, you never think you can do anything more, but you always can as long as you're sensible. Um, so, yeah, so I did that week first uh, at, um, in, in the Cordon Plata based at Palace. Definitely recommend. It's, it's not a difficult place to get to. Very cheap to stay in. The hut has Wi-Fi, so you can check all the weather for Akinkagu. Sorry, now it's it's a really chill place, um, and and really good trails. Like quite easy to get to these amazing peaks. Uh, so yeah, I recommend that. Um, yeah, and then headed over to Akinkagu. So I so that's well, a good, that's a, that's a really so, good starting block week. Just building your way to base camp there. Yeah. I didn't realize base cap was so high as well. On well, like yeah, yeah, it's about four. Well, I think it's, I think it's even higher. Actually, I think it's about four, 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 five. Um, yeah, it's pretty high. It's definitely something somewhere to acclimatize to. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, the the other bit of slightly annoying logistics is that the yeah, I actually think so. Anyone you know that's, that's listening that will have been to major sort of important national parks or major mountains around the world will know that every country has got their own way of doing uh, really annoying bureaucracy, um, <laughs> and, and everyone specialises it in, in a different niche way. And actually, I thought Aconcagua was the best like managed mountain that I've I've been to. I just thought as as a apart from the permit system, <laughs> so. The, the actual mountain itself, like the system they've got set up, which I'll sort of describe in a little bit, is, is, is just, it makes you feel like, you know, they give you enough freedom to do what you want, of course, whilst managing it really well for safety and for, like, protecting the natural environment. I just think it's really good. Um, unfortunately, the permit system slightly lets it down. So, uh, like, the expense is one and, you know, you can debate how much of that really goes back into the local community or how much just goes into the government's pocket. Uh, and I don't know that. Some, someone there would have to, I'm sure some guides there have colourful views on, on, on the permit system. Of course. But, but basically, you can't, so you can't pre-order the permit. So you can't, so I couldn't go to Velocitas, Climb Creek, and then just go straight to Africa, which you can do, there's a road. You have to go back to Mendoza to get the permit and then go back out again. Once you've bought the permit, you have 48 hours to enter the National Park. Oh, you, can't, you can't like buy it in advance and then say what date you're going to enter the park. You have to, you know, so you have to have arranged everything before you um, leave Mendoza. Uh, and actually, you, like, you asked me, is it possible to just sort of be in the area and decide to act on Uh The difficulty, of course, then is equipment. You know, I've I'd, I'd brought everything out from the UK. You know, you've got you know double plastic layered boots. You've got my you know minus twenty five sleeping bag. I've got all my everything that I brought. 
just for Aconcagua, which wasn't really needed for the rest of my six weeks. So it's, it's a lot of stuff you need. Um, and yes, you can rent things there. Uh, so a lot of people go there and hire things. But for example, I've got quite large feet. Um, so well, EU size 47. And I have a friend, actually, I got quite a bit of information from my friend who lives out there who works for um, Dagger Globe Guiding Company. And she told me that, yeah, they might have difficulty with finding good boots that would fit me. And the last thing you want is crossbite on your feet. So I thought, yeah, I'd try with my... so, yeah it's... I think, you know, if you if you're out in Argentina or in South America uh, and you just decide you want to do it, I think doing it solo would be dramatic. And, you know, if you joined a guided company and they just saw everything happen, yeah, of course, it's just do it, I think. But, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of logistics that I had got done before, which would have just been annoying trying to sort out from Argentina. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, so you get this permit. Sorry, do you want to ask? Yeah, I was going to say, so just before we move on to the permit and then on to the park, when you were packing your things, what's, what's one thing that you packed that in hindsight you were so glad you packed? Um, I really, I had a really, really warm pair of mitts over <laughs> your hands. There's, there's nothing worse than getting cold hands. And I had this absolutely, I looked like a giant black lobster. Uh, they were just these fantastically warm, that I'd only just got as well. Um, and um, I was, and, you know, I was really hoping they would be everything they've cracked up to be. Because, um, of course, like a lot of the time in Scotland in the winter, they end up wearing mitts because it's sort of wet rather than, you know, it, obviously it's cold, but a lot of the time it's wet. Mm. And it's quite, like, I, I don't, I don't, well, I, I know climbers do have waterproof coverings and mitts, but I've never really had those. I just use some gloves. So yeah, I was I was being indoctrinated, and it is quite hard to do anything with a rope wearing mitt. So um, I was quite happy to be uh, introduced to the world of mitts, and they did not let me down. Do you remember, <laughs> do you remember where you got them from? I could put a yeah, the decathlon notes. actually. I got from the decathlon. Yeah, I got from the decathlon. The best decathlon mitts you can get. They're enormous. I mean, you'll 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 block them when you see them on the website. They're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, and they they got to the summit. My hands were tasty. So yeah, sometimes you know. <laughs> And they were something like, I can't remember how much they were, probably like 50 quid or something. But then you can get something for like 250 quid, Mitch. Some of the brands are like, well, that's not necessary. I mean, they may be, they may last, but so far they're still fine. Like, Gosh. I have no complaints. Uh, so yeah, Mitch, I'd say, was my second. Perfect. Because my other kit I'd sort of used before, um, and I knew it was all right. They were, they were great. Perfect. Well, listen, th thank you so much for, for diving into the knit question. Let's get back to Aconcagua. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, I mean, so I, I, I don't want to linger too long on the permit because it's just a, but yeah, it's, it's an absolute, basically, if, if you want to do it solo, so firstly, wait, I might as well just list these two things to back. It's an interesting thing that is genuinely organised and solo. So firstly, you have to buy in Mendoza in the city. Even if you want to, so a lot of people fly into Santiago if you pass up Aconcagua, which yes, you can. You can't get any permits in Santiago because it's in Chile, which is the wrong country. So you have to go to you have to go to, you have to, you have to go to Mendoza, and you uh, it's easier to get a company to help you sort it out, um, which is very easy. You don't pay the company anything, uh, and actually, uh, but uh, what, what I did was by buying the permit from them and then paying them a little bit extra. Um, they allowed me to sort of use some facilities on the mountain, which is useful. 
So, so, well, so what I did is that, so I got a company to help me with a permit. So they, you go to their office, you have to pay in cash. So you have to take $800, $800 in cash. And the rules of withdrawing money in Argentina mean that you can only withdraw a tiny amount per day. So take, eight, take the cash for the permit with you on the plane. Don't try and withdraw it in Argentina. That was my biggest mistake. It was an absolute nightmare. Out, and no one told Spent me that. four days extracting 800 <laughs> basically yeah yeah you do yeah. it's about four days of uh, it absolutely stupid like anyway so yeah take the cash for the permit go get a company to help you there are a few um that operate on the mountain um and then yeah you have to take it to like a payment of the there's places in the city called pago facils which are like these payment stations so it's, it's basically where you can go and hand cash to the government and the document which is like, yeah, super sketch, but that is exactly what you do. Uh, so yeah, you hand that over, you hand all your money over, you get this bit of paper back that says you paid, just a receipt, it's like, oh, I better not lose this. And then you have to walk back around the corner to the government office where they issue you with your paper permit. Um, and if you lose that paper permit, it's game over. Um, so you have to keep that paper permit on you like it's you know, your only child. Um, <laughs> alongside your passport <laughs> and then basically that paper permit you have to then it's very easy then to get to I think the logistics thing is you can get a bus basically um, make sure it's not the one that goes direct to Chicago or you just end up in Chile um, and the one that stop the one that stops on the on the tops um, well, on, on the pass basically and a few towns in between and um, yeah you can get to the Borkonius Ranger Station you get out and then you put your permit and that's it good to Love go it. So actually, sounds simple. <laughs> it's, apart from the actual, once you've got the permit, everything is simple. It was that cash for cash for bits of paper system that really threw me. Yeah, so it's like, it's, why, um, why yeah. can't you just take a bank transfer? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. no, can't do that. Time of release. Um, if we jump back to August, um, we interviewed a guy called TJ, TJ David and he talks about being in Patagonia and doing ski mountaineering and he's got some dodgy story right at the start about getting <laughs> cash and like go yeah it, it's yeah <laughs> it's a can be a dodgy part of the world but yeah I'll leave I'll leave people to go and listen to that episode if they want to but so we've we've covered permits we've covered mitts we've covered that that uh, initial week long trekking to uh, base camp let's uh. Hi. Well, so yeah, so well, well, the, well, the week long trekking is it, is it? So this is a totally different place, fallacy. So I did the acclimatization sort of trek. So it's right, not. Yeah, it's, perfect, perfect, perfect. It's it's about the same distance from Mendoza, which is that the main city, but it's not in the direct. Right. Okay. Okay. But, yeah. So so you 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 get the bus to Horconis, which is uh, the pass where there's the danger station, and this is quite. A, it's 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 not hard to get to. Like it's 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 a popular place. It's firstly it's on the main road to the capital. Chile, so like it's a big thoroughfare, buses, trucks, cars, whatever. Um, also, people go to this range station and go into the Aconcagua National Park just to go on day walk. Well, so you know, it'd be like, I don't know, like, well, it's don't want to know, Chamonix and Mont Blanc, like, it would be like getting the chairlift up just to do a little day walk or, or around or like a yeah. climb and then go back down again. So, lots of people just go there for the day, um, or they'll like one big thing is to walk, well, one thing is to walk from. Uh, start the ranger station to camp one and then come back again so it's like there's lots of people around car park like it's very obvious um and yeah it's a good place to sort of um 
yeah, get to um, feel as though you've started. And on, on clear weather, you can see the summit, which is quite cool. Oh, wow. uh, from the very from the very start, from the range. So you basically you get your permits. I just had, of course, an enormous backpack, um, and, then, and then you're off. Um, well, one one thing I'd add was so, so one thing I did. Bear in mind here that I've got a permit that gives me access to the national park for 20 days, um, and obviously, so th- there is food available at the base camp. And I knew about this, um, but of course, it's very expensive, and I wanted to cook on my own stuff. So obviously, I had packed into an enormous sort of 120 liter black duffel bag, loads of food, spare clothes, basically everything I possibly could to make my life happy, and I didn't need on the walk into base camp. Things like the ice axe, your crampons, they can all go in that. And then you can pay for them. You can pay to attach that bag to a mule. So that's something I definitely recommend because the walk from the range station, which is the road, basically, normally people, so because I'd acclimatized, my schedule was a bit odd, but basically that took me a day and a half. So on day one, I sort of got the journey up to the range station and then got the permit stamped and then walked in the afternoon to confluence sort of midway to uh, base camp. Mm. Um, but if you pay for a meal the meal takes your bag all the way to base camp in one go so for that one night you don't have your stuff but you don't need it. you just take your tent and for breakfast with you and walk the next day uh, some people will if you want to acclimatize there is another day walk from that camp from confluencia confluencia is about 3300 so if you're there it's quite good to spend two nights there do like there's a sidewalk up a valley that's quite cool where you can go and see the south face of Afrikaanke, which is where all like the climbing routes are, like the oh, wow. serious stuff. So you can go and look at that and see the glacier up there, and then come back down and spend another night. So it's used as a bit of a climatization place, Confluencia, but I just use oh, to spend the night on the way. Um, and yeah, and the reason for that a mule is useful, you know, if you're thinking oh, I don't want to pay for a mule, I can just haul my 40 kilos of kit all the way to base camp. Like it's it's a long way. It's about <laughs> I think it's about thirty k, thirty kilometers. Oh wow! And it's like up a hot, dusty valley that's like that goes from two thousand nine hundred to four thousand five hundred, four thousand five hundred meters. So, I mean, and most of the climbs at the end. <laughs> so it's just a very long way. But there's absolutely no way. Like it was worth every penny of <laughs> the mule. Um, and there's one company, uh, so you can go to any of the companies that operate on the mountain. They will just sort the mule out for you, and they will mm-hmm. tell you where to drop that bag before you start walking. So I just, you know, went in. They weighed it, make sure it was 30 kilos. So it has to be 30 kilos or less um, to be on a mule. Um, and then, yeah, and then that was it. The next time I saw it was a base. So they're very efficient. Uh, the, the, the reason I used, so I used Lanco, which is one of the companies, uh, the reason I used them was because they allow solo people to hire half a mule. Because <laughs> obviously, a, like a whole mule is 60 kilos. And obviously, if you're a guiding company, if you're working out there, you, you, you hire a few, and it doesn't matter which company you use because all the prices are the same. But Lanco is the one company that allows people to just hire half a mule. Uh, I, I never asked which half I hired. Um, but, uh, Take the the front legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want I want the right hand side. Okay? Uh, <laughs> it's good. Like you see all the bags and stuff going up. Like, um, like the guys that run the mules. Uh, like it's like a full timer with up and down the valley. Mm. Uh, but then yeah, so it's uh, get your permit stamped, dump the bag off, two and a half hour walks that afternoon to which is the first camp, three thousand three hundred meters. 
right in the middle of the valley. Um, and yeah, you know, there, there are the big, these big dome tents that the companies have got set up. Um, and then this is the, the first, because it's the first camp you get to, uh, what's involved in the permit system is um, a bit of a safety net for people that are climbing in that you have to go and see a doctor. So you get to this camp and you go to the doctor and they check your um, O2 saturation, make sure you're not um, hypoxic, uh, and they um, and they check your lungs, ask how you're feeling, any symptoms, etc. Ask what your schedule is, uh, and then let you go on your way. Uh, and then, the, wow. and then, so the next day was a big long day from Confluence to the base camp. Like it's a, I think it took me about six hours. I knew it was a big eight. Um, so it is a day walk. Don't try and skip on that. The whole walk in one day. Just snack yourself out for the next mm. one. Like definitely worth staying there. Uh, and yes, yeah, so the next day up to base camp. Um, which is always wonderful arriving in base camp. It's a little town. Um, there's obviously there's there's a few bars. There are showers. There's, there's there's an art gallery, which I think is the world's highest art gallery. Um, nice. <laughs> actually, I think yes, yeah, it's, it's got a Guinness Book of Records sign. Um, but yeah, the first thing you have to do when you arrive in base camp is register that you're there, and then go and see the doctor at base camp and have the same tests um, just to make sure you're good to go and of course the, the doctors do have the power to say you, you, you're not going up uh or at least mate you know they should you should stay here for longer uh, yeah. at base camp yeah. so so there is some you know uh repercussions if you try and race it and you're not acclimatizing fast enough which that's is really actually, good i really like that efficient way of doing it and then making it safe that's that's a really nice feature of the area yeah. I, I, I i'm new to all of this higher mountaineering stuff but that's something i've not heard of in any other any other location yeah neither have i i've never heard of it before and it's 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 not like they're not overbearing they're not trying to tell you what to do they just you know test you ask you how it's going and uh, what your plans are and then yeah so you're on your way it'd be interesting of course to witness a conversation with someone who was had like low oxygen saturation and what they would say to them you know yeah especially if they were on their own uh if they weren't guided because i guess if they're guided you guide but yeah i'm not sure what would happen in that case but uh just just climatize properly and you'll be you'll be all right um yeah, but yeah it's it's weird to watch your oxygen saturation naturally decreasing like <laughs> a, a base camp thing mine was like 85 percent, which is not great but that's sort of normal for 4,500 meters so yeah, I think on the top, I would I would love to take it on the top, actually. That'd be fine, but I got up there. That's like the last thing I wanted to do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the good thing about base camp is it's great. Like, because I paid uh, the company, Lancode, to use half a meal to transport my bag up there, it meant that, that I could use their toilets. Um, they had, like, a little, little indoor place I could eat some food if I wanted to. And then, obviously, the people that pay for the full service, they get access to like you know they get meals they get all that kind of stuff and that goes on in the area so you know there are a lot there are loads of people there they're mostly guided groups some um uh, self-guided groups going up um i met one other solo guide there actually which was nice mm. um, well actually it was only solo because he'd been abandoned by his guides but that's another story um, oh god yeah, I know. And actually, I think his achievement was probably greater than mine by far because, um, yeah, I mean, at least I knew what I was doing. Like, he sort of just, just like, his guide just sort of never turned up at a particular camp and he was just decided to carry on. It's like, that's pretty good. Like, he didn't even have Yeah, that's pretty nails. 
yeah, that is, it was much, yeah, I was, it made me feel like, it's like I knew what I was doing, that's pathetic, I should, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a really nice place to chill out, base camp, and you can see why people enjoy being there, there is a day walk from there to another peak, it's about 5,004 metres, you don't have to, you know, go up and down the same path, going straight there. And, you know, there's alcohol, there's uh, food that you can buy if you really want to. Um, I didn't have any alcohol on the way up. Um, weirdly, it seemed very expensive on the way up, but then by the time you've got to the summit and you're on your way down, it's extremely cheap. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's sort of like a Swiss or Norwegian price. Um, so it's, it's, it's about 10 quid out of a bit, but, but it's worth but- it. For people who have listened to the Exploring Nepal episode, uh, um, James describes on there how the guide he had, I think they agreed it was, um, I want to say 4,000 metres or 5,000 metres. It might have been as low as three, but there was a certain distance where the guide made them all agree that after this altitude on the Annapurna circuit, after this altitude, we're not having any more alcohol. Can you all agree to that? Um, Yeah. Just because it's... it's more detrimental to anything and it's not necessary. So, uh, well, and they said, you know, when we get, but when we get back below, you can have a beer, that's fine. But above this height, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to guide you if you've been drinking. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd really agree with that. That's, that's, that's really sensible. Um, and like always, you know, I've taken groups on treks, but they probably wouldn't be considered high altitude, but you know, in the Alps, sometimes you can end up going over passes for, you know, that can definitely affect people a little bit. And yeah. You do warn people. Um, you know that it would have an adverse effect, but definitely not on the way up. Uh, mm. I, I didn't. Even, I didn't even consider getting for a drink. Um, firstly, I was too tired, um, <laughs> and, uh, and then also, yeah, it's, it's 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 just asking. Can you imagine not summiting because you feel a bit shit, and then you've had that, you know, a few glasses of wine. And you think, oh, was it that? Or have I just scuppered this yeah. massive like dream by just partying too soon by three white or, wines? Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I did like, and I don't want to criticise them. I listen to the podcast, but uh, but I, and I, I met some lovely people who I was camping next to, and there was this great group of people, roughly my age. So it was quite nice to chat to them. And I, I won't definitely won't name the company or the guys, uh, but basically they were partying every night on the way, and they were hadn't summoned. Uh, and there was a lot of drinking going on, um, and yeah, it just felt like. You know, I mean, they and they actually did all get up fine. Um, only a few cases of allergies, but you kind of think, you know, sort of accident waiting to happen. You're a group, and you're on the way up a massive mountain where you need, every, you know, all your senses. You need every bit of, yeah. you know, um, and you need to be awake to the, you know, to your body's sort of feelings when it comes to altitude. You need to be aware of what's happening to you. And actually, when you start to get altitude sickness. A very similar sensation to feeling hungover. Yeah. So if you're if you're already hungover, then you can't tell when you're getting out. Exactly. Way. Yeah. And yeah. So I, and and those were some you know some pretty pretty experienced mountaineers with their guides on that. And I was a little bit um, peeved, peeved off. Yeah. Really, well, I, we I, I just think English. they were no, they, they were clearly just a bit just a bit arrogant. These guys yeah. getting their clients party and drink. Um, but there were, you know, the, the, I didn't really talk to the guides. The, um, yeah, I, I talked to a few of the Well, everyone I met was lovely, to be honest. I met some great people. Yeah, just disagree of, with uh, the drinking. 
yeah, I just think like it's a bit silly at that point. Like on the way down, absolutely. Oh, oh, yeah. I was all over it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you have to. I mean, there's a bar and you're at 4,300 meters and you just find the beast of a mountain and it's a beautiful sunset. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm sure everyone else will have a have a personal view on this, and some I'm sure there are lots of very experienced people out there who would say, well, "Of course, I'll have a beer on the way." It doesn't make any people that are not experienced you know how their body's going to react. Why disadvantage themselves? So, you know, um, but yeah, apart from that, you know, base camp is a really good place to be. If people, if you get caught out by the weather there, then it's fine. Place. You have to, um, and there were people that I saw having to do that after, just after me. There was a bad weather window. Um, just by the ranger station at the base camp, there's, they've got the weather forecast. So if you haven't paid to get internet on your phone, which there is uh, internet there, there's both Wi-Fi you can pay for, and there's also you can get data at base. Camp. So it's pretty easy to keep up base um, with you know, what's going on and weather forecasts and all the important stuff like that. Uh, and importantly, posting your summit selfie, um, which is you know, the reason we do it. Uh, <laughs> for the gram. Yeah, for the, for the gram. If it's not even playing with a seven summits app. world record, it was just for the gram. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Hillary and Tenzing. Just... <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yes, that was bit. So I, I arrived at base camp, obviously a day and a half after leaving the road. And because I'd already acclimatized, I was quite keen to keep going. Uh, and I wanted to actually have a rest at base camp, but there was a really good weather window for like the next three days. And then it looks really bad. Uh, they actually had written on the weather forecast. They, put, so they, they write up the weather forecast and it's like whiteboard, which is a really neat way of doing it. And to position it outside the hut, so you can go and want to go and look at it. <laughs> and they'd written after like, like, three days from when I arrived for like five days, they just scrawled over it in like red marker pen, enormously powerful windstorm, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> none of that was what I wanted to hear. And like the wind, the problem with, of course, the wind is that not only is wind itself an incredibly annoying um, sort of force on a mountain. I mean, I think that's what puts me off going up mountains more than any other type of weather, isn't it? It's just wind, it's just miserable. It just stops any progress or fun. Um, and and of course the danger with Aconcagua as well is with, with any mountain at height is that you've got the, the wind chill is just for ranges. you know so you know the the air temperature uh, on summit day was probably like minus twenty and it was saying that the wind chill when it was the, the this, like when it's windy it can, it can go down to minus forty and that's mm-hmm. just like and not only is it minus forty but it's windy and you're moving really slowly because it's very high up. So I you know, and that that's just a do not go up. Yeah. Um, so my um, idea was to try and beat that uh, enormously powerful windstorm that was on its way um, by by trying to get up in that next bit of weather wind there. Which because I'd acclimatized, I was you know I'd been able to basically six thousand meters. So but that was the that, that was the plan. Because how many camps are there after base camp? So well, the, so there are. Really, really. Um, there are. There's. There's also one. There, there's. There's sort of a fourth, but it's not. I don't think it's really used. So there's daily, and they're roughly every five hundred meters. So base camp is at four five, roughly. Uh, there's camp one, which is at about five thousand meters, five thousand fifty. 
Then there's Camp 2, which is 5,600. And then there was Camp 3, which is, uh, it was just over 6,000. But not everyone uses all of the camps. Um, so I think people that are climatizing well, as they go. That's my next question. Yeah, I'm yeah. doing the maths here. And uh, you're cutting it fine or you're skipping, pack, or you're skipping camps. I skipped most of the camps. I <laughs> uh, do have good names, actually. So Camp 1, I'm not sure Camp 1. Yeah, I think it's Camp Canada. It's uh, Camp 1. Um, it's very easy to see. You can see the pinnacle. It looks really close. And of course, nothing's close because you're walking so bloody slowly all the time. But it's uh, it's quite close in reality. Um, and then camp. So I went. I I skipped camp one uh, uh, for 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 two reasons. Firstly, because I'd already been up to six thousand meters, and I felt that I could just go straight up to five thousand six hundred to camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, because there's no water at camp one, you have to carry all your water up, which is fine if you're shuttling things or you have porters, which you can also hire from base camp. Uh, porters. Uh, the, the 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 mules don't go above base camp, by the way. So the mules just go to base camp. Those they're not you know, mountain mules. They're sort of nice valley, chilled out mules. They have a good life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. So I but but of course the the risk the the, the disadvantage was of course because uh, doing it on my own, I had to carry all my stuff. So I I, I was taking all some tents, bag, all the food. I I, I took enough for sort of two summit attempts. Um, and then I knew that after that, because the bad weather was coming in, if I didn't make it on those two days, I was just going to retreat back to base camp, wait out the weather, and then try again. Which is the beauty of the permit, having the permit, permit because you can afford to sort of fail, go and sit out the weather, and then mm. go back, uh, or just spend more time acclimatizing. Which is pretty easy. It gives you a lot of time. That's one of the disadvantages about Kilimanjaro permit, actually, per day, which is why people try and rush it on Kili. Mm. Whereas I can kind of it's really chilled, and that's one of the reasons I liked it. Another sign of the management thing. So yeah, so I arrived in base camp, uh, ate loads of food, d- uh, you know, sorted my stuff out, and then I had my summit pack uh, with tent, three days of food, loads of snacks, uh, and those kind of things, water bottles, first kit, all that. You know, I snacks and crampons just in case. You never know. It had snowed the day before I arrived. You could get summer snacks. And then, yeah, on the 31st of January uh, this year, yeah, I went up from base camp to, to camp two, which is Nido, Nido de Condoris, which is the Needle of the Condors, which is a wonderful Ooh. thing. And I actually saw a condor as I was approaching base camp, which I, as I was approaching the camp. And I was chatting to these other guys I was walking up with. Because um, I see, you sort of bump into people all the time. It's a nice thing about doing it. So you can sort of take it at your own pace and just chat to, you know, strangers on the mountain. Yeah, I met these two um, Mongolian mountaineers. Actually, people from all over is amazing, uh, and they were, you know, on their way up. This couple, um, so yeah, I chatted with them, and we saw a condor. Probably, um, wow. And so, one one of the benefits about Nido de Condor's camp is that it has water. Uh, so there's a, there's a pool that is obviously frozen, which is five thousand meters, but it's it's kept open. There's like a hole in it that's open by just people um, continuously filling up bottles and stuff and you know chipping away at the edge each time just so you contribute to the you know keeping it open mm. so that's which is much easier than melting snow for two hours uh, so yeah, yeah. You, can just go, you can just go and fill that up because obviously the ice insulates yeah. it the water under that is still drinkable which is brilliant now, now one of the things i'm wondering is as you go up higher and higher into the sky naturally the terrain changes and kilimanjaro is quite well known for 
Uh, I, I've heard people, I, I'm yet to do it, full disclosure to everyone, um, I will be doing it. Uh, I've heard a couple of podcasts where they talk about the fact that there are different climates, like, all on your way up. So yeah. from base camp through to camp two, what kind of terrain are we looking at and are we seeing? Uh, it's pretty much the same. Mm. <laughs> um, it's it's really weird, the Andes. Like, the, the Andes are absolutely beautiful, but quite samey. Uh, the that rocky sort of oh, it's it's like a giant rubble desert uh, <laughs> with glaciers it's it's mad it's like i mean there is vegetation there's some beautiful flowers i spent um i i, I did a lot of time like taking photos of flowers that was my sort of acclimatization task i would just sit i just got mm. about 10 minutes or so um, absolutely beautiful and look out for those flowers but to be honest above Above sort of four thousand meters, they get really sparse, especially on Aconcagua. Of course, um, for some reason. Actually, at, at, at Valacitos, where they're acclimatized, there were loads of flowers even higher than that. But um, I guess just in different places, different rules, you know, it changes quite a lot. But yeah, it's, at it's, what point it's, are you hitting rock. the snow line? It's, well, that so this is quite weird. So it had snowed just before I got there, um, and then it sort of melts during the day. So the snow was nearly down to base camp. It was near about four thousand seven hundred, but that wasn't the that wasn't the constant snow line. That that had all melted up to probably about. So it's really so. So when I got to Nida de Condores, this is Camp Two, which is at five six. There was like patches of snow, like patches of quite hard snow that I don't think melts in hollows and stuff. So that was sort of the snow line, but there was loads of rock everywhere. It, yeah. was, it was a rock landscape. Um, the permanent snow line was quite a lot higher than that. And actually, of wow. course, even on the summit, I mean, even, even on the summit, it's just bare rock. Um, so it's not like um, this co- there's a constant permanent snow line. Um, it, 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 it can vanish totally, and the, but then stay in these pockets um, and nice. in gullies and stuff, which I think is all year. Um, yeah. yeah, it's sort of very rocky. But near, near the Condorus is an incredible place. And, um, uh, that it's just stunning. It's, it's sort of on a shelf uh, of the mountain, is, uh, which says it's a really big area. This is, I mean, you could get a festival up there. Uh, oh, wow. It's huge. Which would be, that would be mad, wouldn't it? Let's do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you get this absolutely incredible view, like sunset from there. It's like nothing else. Um, uh, but yeah, it's big. There's fresh water. There's another voluntary doctor station, so you don't have to go there. But if you want to go, there is another doctor at Camp 2. And that's all covered by your permit. Yeah, so I could have gone there. Um, that was, that's fine. Um, but you, it's 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 not uh, mandatory. You can choose to go there if you're feeling not well, not which is really useful. <laughs> I mean, what 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 a responsibility to have at five thousand six hundred meters? And what a job uh, to have as well. What's your yeah. job? Oh, I just chill out near the top of Aconcagua. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, telling people they're suffering from allergies. Yeah. <laughs> and ruining their dreams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I probably play practical jokes. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> like, uh, Jay. <laughs> you got another one. He's the fully yeah. American. Yeah, looks like Cerebral uh, Adiba. <laughs> what? Are you serious? Yeah, but flag guy over there, not you. <laughs> no, I mean, I've got it. I need to go down. Um, <laughs> that, was, that was fine. That was an option. And really, like, from there, you're, you know, you can see the sun. Wow. Um, I mean, you can see it sort of pretty much base camp, so just behind a little rock. Um, so, but it, it feels quite far away from base camp, whereas from Nidus de Condores, you know, it's 
I mean, it's still 1,300 meters high, but it does feel a lot closer. Um, I think that's one of the problems with it, the, the terrain just being sort of rock and snow. It's very hard to see definition. Like mm. when you have like vegetation, it sort of gives a land, you get perspective in the landscape when you look at a mountain, if it's vegetated, you know, if it goes up above the tree line, it tends to look high. Because if everything's rock, it's just like, oh, that could be like a 10 minute walk, or it could be like a five hour sort of thing. Uh, which yeah, it was more like that. <laughs> um, yeah, so that I mean, Nisa Condoris was fantastic, and obviously, so that was my uh, base camp. Yeah, really nice um, evening. Got got the water ready, had everything. Um, I bought like a lightweight bag for the summit attempt, um, just to shove everything in. And um, yeah, uh, pretty much decided that the next day was was going to be one because the weather was good. I was tired, but I was like, well, if it doesn't go well and I just get up to, say, 6,000 metres and feel like turning back, then that doesn't matter. It's just another acclimatisation. You know, but I'll just take everything. Um, of course, you do have to be pretty early. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I got up at, so this is uh, 1st of February now, got up at 2 in the morning, um, and there were, already t- there were already torches ahead of me, walking up. Uh, yeah, and left, I think I'd left at about 2.30 in the morning. Um, but you're tired enough to go to bed early enough, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're, you're pretty tired. I mean, I was sort of excited. <laughs> it's like day before Christmas, though, isn't it? You're, you're going <laughs> to attempt the summit the next day. And um, but yeah, it's cold at 2 in the morning. And the water keeps freezing, of course. Um, mm. and so, w- w- what I'd done up to that point, but when arriving at base camp and when arriving at Sierra's Condores, um, I'd sort of, I'd, done and I'd, I'd always walk 200 meters higher in altitude, have a rest and then come back down to the camp. There's my little sort of ritual in the climate go on a little walk higher than the camp. But where I was sleeping wasn't the highest I'd been that day. But just yeah. by 200 metres, and it just gave me actually a nice like psychological thing. Of being like, oh, cool, I've done that extra little bit. Um, so then the next, you know, and also it's good for wrecking a bit of the path before you have to do it in the middle of the night. Oh, for sure, yeah. So, yeah, that was... Um, yeah, then it was summit day. Two in the morning, yeah, two thirty in the morning. Started walking. Uh, yeah, long way. Yeah, it was. It was. It's a reasonably tricky route finding. Actually, it's not that obvious the first bit. Um, you sort of go back on yourself a bit. You sort of continue around the mountain away from the summit, slowly rising up. Um, uh, and but I sort of followed a zigzag that I figured was the path. It kept going up, mm. and it seemed to be right. You could sort of, I could see some me that seemed to be going the same way. Um, and it was never tricky, and it was sort of an obvious path. So, yeah, I just sort of kept on. Of course, you're just walking so slowly. It's just important to keep going. You know, you know, I was wearing everything, had my gloves on. And actually, that, that was the coldest. That was really cold. Um, like, just getting your feet into your boots in the morning. It's, it's Everywhere but your hands are freezing. Yes, my hands were oh, so tasty. Uh, but, of course, you can't open it. You can't open a bottle wearing this. So I'd have to take my hand out and open it. And even in that time, your hand starts to... Cold, cold. Yeah. yeah, but you know that's uh, that's that's similar everywhere in the world where it's cold. So it wasn't that. Long. Um, yeah, um, and then about sort of four times it. But yeah, I, I got to this wire and this bit of fixed equipment that you sort of have to sort of scramble up. It only takes a few minutes. We scramble up and then you arrive at the sixth Berlin camp. Um, I think it's Berlin. There's, there's sort of two camps quite close together. There's Berlin and there's cholera camp, which is. <laughs> cholera um, yeah I'm, I'm not entirely sure it's the same at, 
like meaning in Spanish. It must be Spanish. Actual cholera. Um, but, yeah, it's not nice. No. <laughs> no one wants to go to that camp. No, no one wants to stay there. But it's there's no water. Camp gonorrhea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, so people that stay there basically melt water, uh, melt water, melt snow from water. Uh, so I, I didn't want to stay there. So it's eyes that sleep. So this is why I didn't go to camp three to sleep. Is mm. I've never slept at six thousand meters, and you know, and actually, you know, it only took me two two hours and a quarter to get from Nidos Condoras to that higher camp. It's like, well, I prefer that two hours and a quarter to be just you know in that morning rather than having to lug my tent up to six thousand meters just to spend yeah. a really cold night where there's no water. Uh, and and, uh, and quite a lot of people do that. To be fair, a lot of people do the summit Nidos Condoras uh, rather than that Berlin camp. So um. So, yeah, I wasn't uh, feeling nervous about that. By the time I got to that, you know, you see all these tents, and people were still getting ready, like 4 in the morning, and people have started walking. And by then, there's quite a lot of people you're sort of going to. Bear in mind, this is sort of off-season, actually. 1st of February is the start of the, the, the low season. So there'd be even more people in, in sort of December and January. Um, yeah, and then it's like a long... It starts to rise. I mean, yeah. So you get a little bit of flat, which is quite pleasant, and then it starts to go uphill again. Uh, but by then, you're above 6,000 metres, which is quite a buzz if you haven't been above 6,000 metres before. You sort of watch the altitude go up, and it was very dark still. But yeah, by the time it gets to 5.30, it starts to rise in the sky. You can see all the Andes spread out below you, you know, these beautiful sort of glacial peaks everywhere. You know, you can see the sun across the landscape. It's pretty cool from then, and there's enough distraction around you to sort of stop everything five minutes and look around and forget that you're walking at like half a mile an hour. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, then you get up to this, um, there's this old like, uh, like bivouac site. That's like this fixed, it's really weird. Sort of, a, it's, it's a little wooden building, but it, it looks like a tent. It's like, it was sort of like a wigwam, like, like an extended yeah. sort of triangle shape, but it's ruined. It wouldn't, it wouldn't was, but I think it was an old emergency shelter. Um, so you get that, that. That's quite a nice point. To, to, that was at about six thousand three hundred, maybe six thousand two hundred. So that's quite a nice rest spot. Um, and that was actually where uh, myself and the other people that were around me when when we were going up had to put crampons on because there was there was pretty hard snow and some quite serious consequences all at that point. So yeah, it's, it's it, you're still walking on that, but. Um, yeah, crampons. I had crampons on for about the next five hours, uh, and some people had them on for a lot longer, especially if they were guided. The guides like keep them on for the descent, whereas the descent I actually. Um, yeah, and then there's this, then there's this really annoying bit because you're in that you're, you're by this shelter, you're in the sunshine, you know, you're facing east, you, uh, you get this wonderful warm glow that sort of takes away some of the sort of breathing night air. And then you have to cross this little col and go on this and go to the other side of the mountain to continue on the path. So you're back into the horrible shade. And then the wind picked up. So I went from sort of beautiful sunrise to this, like, it, it's it's called the traverse. You go along this traverse, it's just it's not steep in any way, but it feels like it felt like the most difficult part of the whole day, actually, that traverse. Because, you know, it, it, the, the wind picked up, you're out of the sunshine, and you can just see how far you have to go. Um, so that's, that's 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 a long way, um, and then you get to what's called the cave, which is just below the summit. Well, I say just below; it's about three hundred meters below the summit, um, and that's after the end of this long traverse. 
And you can look back down, you can see uh, near the Condorus, you can see, I can see the tent sort of, I can see roughly where the tent was. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, um, and then, you know, it's, it's now kind of sunny, but uh, then you've got the steepest bit of the entire climb. In fact, the entire journey from the steepest bit at the end. And it's this 300 meter scree slope called the Pembaletta. And it's infamous. It starts 500 meters, 6,600. And it just goes up. And it's, it's pretty relentless. And it's um, slow. I think it took me a ridiculous amount of time. <laughs> it, it took me something like two and a half hours to walk up like 300 meters in vertical height because it was just yeah. there's so much stopping and I, I was like oh my god am i being like really slow should i think about going down but there were these two like reasonably experienced polish uh, guys that were like basically at the same place as i was we got to the start of the canales together and they were doing the same pace. We kept like passing each other extremely slowly. <laughs> it was like <laughs> it was like two kind of like two like elderly snails so just just inching past, and then I'd stop like five meters after, and they'd like make a break for it, and then pass me from two meters after they'd just stop as well. So we, we kept up this like <laughs> up the kind of letter, um, and yeah, then got to the summit, and uh, yeah, basically collapsed. And, Sort of, you. <laughs> it was like um, <laughs> pretty happy with that. And actually, by the time we got to the summit, the wind had dropped. It was sunny. I spent about half an hour up there. It was great. Yeah. And well, um, what that, you want, that, when you get to the top, you want that time to enjoy it and and a view. Uh, yeah. Like I think there are some there's some people have said like it's windy. It's just so cold. You go there, you get your summit photo, and you just get off as quickly as you can. But I was really lucky. And uh, yeah, God, it was. Um, it's hard to explain, really. You know, it's like any big objective, isn't it? When you finally get there, you're more sort of, I was, like, because you're not, like, you, you, you're happy, but I don't think you're, you know, euphoric or, like, massive celebration right then. You're sort of a bit overwhelmed. That you're sitting <laughs> on top of thing. You're like, oh, is this it? <laughs> Which is really weird because it's obviously a massive effort. I mean, it took 10 and a half hours from leaving at 2.30 in the morning to get to that summit which is a long day anyway and that's just the top you gotta get down again um so yeah it was, uh, yeah and i mean beautiful weather you know extremely lucky um we were one of the some of the first up there that day i had the summit to myself actually that was my, my favorite moment I, I got up there about 10 minutes before the polish guys so people just left as i got to the top and oh, i was wow. totally up totally by myself on this little sort of and it's it's, it's quite a safe summit but it's not it's not, I mean, obviously, there are steep sides, but you, there's quite a big sort of, sort of triangular and shaped area of rock that's quite big. Like, you can get like 50 people up there quite happily chilling out. Oh, um, nice. well, yes. I mean, you probably do in high season, actually. They probably have more than that, actually. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's quite a big area. Like, you can sit down and come if you want to. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not like you have to grip onto the summit and sort of try and you know, take some selfies and be uh, back down and have, a, have lunch. Um, which was obviously all frozen solid by that point. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's just a really surreal moment, which I'm sure you know everyone gets from you know gets to the top of the mountain. Yeah, they absolutely. About for a long time and spent lots of time planning. And I mean, I'm not going to lie; it's, it's it's the hardest thing I've ever done so far. Like, and I've run some hundred mile plus ultras and done like these like expeditions in the Arctic. That was by far just the 
you know, you're, you're, you're just a giant, you know, lung trying to get off desperately, and just walking extremely slowly. You just feel absolutely it's It's really weird. You just think like, uh, it's it's this incredible, and I think that's one of the reasons to do. It. I think everyone should go to ask you to feel that at least once in their lives because it mm. it it make it helps you appreciate so much this sort of small envelope of livable atmosphere that we actually have. Yeah, uh, especially like when you can walk out of this. You know, you can walk up out of this. You know, really easy to live in planet uh, to somewhere that is just desperate. Like, yeah, and I think that was you know that's probably the most memorable thing it's just oh, so puts in perspective isn't it? yeah and that's what i love about climbing mountains is or and 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 just just getting outdoors anyway or, or even just as simply as sitting in your garden on a clear night looking at the stars is it, it makes you realize how small we are and 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 for me anyway it helps me with any problems i'm facing because i, I sit back and i go actually this isn't that big is it i'm fine i've got a i've got a home you know i'm i'm not hungry <laughs> so so yeah it's it's yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. Everyone should go do it. Yeah. And then yeah. on the way back down, just lots of partying. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. Well, the way back down, I, I actually went down a slightly different way than I went up. So I went up the, the path. And obviously, you have to go back down the Canaletta. Um, mm. But then, actually, you can take a direct line straight down the bottom of the Canaletta to the Victoria, uh, which is called the Grand Acarreo. It's just this big sort of... It, it, it's, it's a big scree slope, but there was a gully sort of filled with snow, sort of like glissaded down it. And sometimes I sat on my ass and just slid like on toboggan. I actually wish I'd brought a toboggan at that point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was that was that was quite fun. I think I got down about three hours. Um, they still nice. take because you're still walking, you're still doing it slowly. Every movement you know, costs that bit of energy that you don't have, but you are gradually getting better because you just so psychologically it's a lot easier. And yeah, sure. got down. God, I got down at about four p.m. And just collapsed <laughs> into the tent. <laughs> and the tent was there. I think, what did I do? I think I just ate loads of food and then realized it was only like 4 p.m. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think I just went to sleep as you could. Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah, it was chill. Woke up the next day, read a book, had the tent up, really chill. We all went down to base camp. And they were like, oh, you're back. <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, because I haven't even gone for two nights. And I guess most people take a lot longer to, because they, if people are climatizing on a bag, then you might, you know, you might speak, yeah. walk up to six months down, spend the night, et cetera. But, you know, it was nice knowing that I sort of had that, that previous experience. Like, you know, I could just go for it. Uh, oh, yeah, it was, it, it, it was, it was fantastic. It was, well, I said nothing else. When you get to the, Somewhere where you're near the highest place in the continent, you can just look out over this incredible mountain range. But just so many other peaks that all look yeah. amazing. <laughs> wow. Well, um, before we get to some wrap up questions, is there anything else that we need to know about climbing Aconcagua? Um, well, I mean, I, I guess that there are loads of things that I sort of wouldn't know to tell people. You know, things you find out, little things you find out on the way. Yeah. Uh, I think, God, I mean, you know, once I think if, 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 if you want, you know, I would certainly recommend, you know, there are some fantastic companies out there that organize really, really decent trips. Like it's not the kind of mountain where you get like budget operations and you might be sucked in. Well, as, as, as is the impression I get, I, I didn't see any sort of absolute jokers on it. 
Um, everyone's very professional. There's some great guides there. There's some groups that like they're having a really good time, really well looked after. So if you want to do it, it's 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 really good objective. Um, and there are some great companies that you can sign up to and they will take care of absolutely everything. Um, and it's and, and it's doable and there's no technical skill. There's just, you, you know, in, in walking, apart from being happy walking in crampons is obviously important. Um, yeah. And there are moments, I think, if, if, if the Grand Acarea is frozen up, sorry, not the Grand Acarea, if the letter at the top is frozen up, I think they, they want people to use ice axes. Um, not to, like, you know, climb, but just to use as, like, almost like a walking pole style. People aren't mm. familiar with sort of method. They're quite useful. But I just use walking poles. It, it wasn't frozen. Um, but your guides will be able to teach you this. But I saw guides on little sort of, this is how to walk in crampons, little, little things around base camp. So, yeah, really, really, um, there's loads of knowledge there. And so I'd definitely recommend that if you want to. If you do want to do it, organise it solo. I think it's actually a reasonably straightforward place to do that, actually, if you're interested in solo mountaineering. Or even not solo, if you're interested in organising it yourself. Yeah. As long as you're set up. The main bit of advice, I'd say, is um, become knowledgeable about altitude and the effects of altitude. And... Get experience in that. That is the most important thing. Everything else is understandable for your average person, like you know how to stay, you know, warm and drinking fluids, and you know the navigation is not that difficult, um, but still requires care, of course. Um, but understanding actually, knowing when when it's back most vital, I think, because if you do that wrong, then it pretty deadly serious yeah um yeah but there's plenty of places to do that you know everywhere has you know, courses you can go on um other peaks you can climb with a guided group and learn that kind of stuff so it's it's definitely doable perfect well listen three wrap-up questions then right. so the first one is heading out here getting it done i think you said you're gone for six weeks uh, in total um what surprised you the most about the trip? Oh, um, gosh. You didn't brief me on that question. That's actually a really good question. Um, if anything, you might have just been, I did my research, Chris. I know what I was doing. <laughs> I think what surprised me the most, just from, okay, so from coming from a country, you know, like the UK, where... We and unfortunately we're seeing it at the moment where our popular mountains can become rubbish. Um, and then you hear about you know I've, I've never been there, but you hear the same about Everest that people just don't care. They drop their stuff uh, or their litter or their oxygen tanks or whatever, and they just they just you know it's the summit and they, there seems to be a lack of care about the mm. place. Um, I didn't really witness that when I did Chile, but I was nineteen. I remember it. <laughs> but with Aconcagua, I was just really impressed by the, the amount of care that the Argentinians put into um, organizing the mountain effectively and making sure that you know there is freedom for climbers. You can go and do what you want. You know, you just have to tell them you're going to climb it and get the permit. Uh, and obviously, if you want to do one of the technical routes on the south face, uh, you know, climbers, you know uh, ropes and stuff, then then you know you just need to sign a, a bit of paper and you're off. Um, but you know they have that safety net. They have the doctors. They have the um, you know the mules that you can hire if you want. You know, they have porters you can hire if you want. They have you know 
really it, it was just really clean well and i just think that that was a really good mix uh, that yeah. they've managed to find there on, on what's you know a really difficult thing in the world you know how do you balance a really sensitive environment with thousands of people um and yeah it just i was just quite impressed and it made it a really nice place to be which is perfect yeah yeah so if anyone here's going there don't drop litter <laughs> no in fact anyone going anywhere just don't be a bastard and pick <laughs> up your letter <laughs> don't be a bastard i might get a t-shirt with that maybe. <laughs> don't, be, don't be a bastard <laughs> Asking my um, mouth, if, I, if I start up a guiding company, don't be a bastard mountaineering. <laughs> I'm patenting that though. <laughs> I want five percent of the company. Anyway, um, what would you do differently if you could go again? I mean, obviously we've established the mitts are bloody fantastic, but what would you do differently if you went again? Um, I so I think the, the the bit of kit that I didn't do well uh, since now we've mentioned the mitts was actually. Uh, lower half so my trousers i i had i had thermals then i had um um trousers see uh, and then i had like a waterproof layer uh, those uh, three together were not warm enough um I, I should have taken like an insulated maybe like a prima loft or a down um trouser uh, and, and it, it was okay in the end but i could definitely feel my legs getting cold which is actually not mm. something you used to you sort of walk you know when you're used to walking fast you know, you're being, oh, of course. Find mountains and like your your you, your legs get warm. You know, but I even hate putting on waterproof trousers normally because it makes you feel like a boil in the bag. But yeah. of course, yeah. you know, when you're at altitude, you're walking so slowly that you can't generate heat uh, that much. So yeah, I think I I, I would have taken uh, and I will next warmer time. lower half insulated trousers. Yeah, it's a good shout there. Um, yeah, that's my. And also, I probably would have. So I kind of used the fact that I. Uh, but then obviously after I Bagura, I had altitude sort of um, condition. Um, I was you know, I got up to that level and I was like, oh, what sh- I should go and do something else. Um, and I probably, it would have been nice actually if I'd found, a, if, if I wasn't on my own, there was some other 6,000 metre peaks that are more remote, maybe more difficult to get to that would have been really fun to do. Yeah. Uh, but, but the logistics, doing it on your own would just be too expensive. Um, but I think that would have been quite fun. There were some local 6,000 as we could obviously see in the distance, but that, that would be really good. I'd probably do that. Go for someone else. <laughs> Perfect. And then the last question I've got is from from the whole trip, from the whole climbing. What's one moment that you would love to relive? I think the best bit, um, and I'm not, I'm not going to say getting to the summit because, as I said, that was actually a bit of a weird shell drop moment. I actually don't really know what's going on. <laughs> it feels so surreal. But I think my favourite place on that whole experience um was uh camp two so it's a needed to come you're on this massive and you can just you know it's 5600 meters so you can get acclimatized to that fine over the night so you can feel happy walking about and just the, the sunset from there is absolutely out of this world like you can watch sunrise and sunset at the same campsite the way it's positioned which is pretty wow. cool and you can just look out over the Andes and there's drinkable water and you could probably have a nice time there for a few days, actually. Quite a cool place. And I just think, yeah, I, I wish I'd spent, I'd probably spend another night there, actually. I'd probably just read a book or something. I think that'd be a really decent uh, But yeah, if you're going uh, back in Canada, as all the camps, camp two, near the Condores, is the one you want to spend more time at than the Lovely. others. Um, definitely. 
that was why it's why I'd go and, and chill. Perfect. Well, listen, Alex, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talking to us about Aconcagua and climbing it solo. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was, um, yeah, a, a nice uh, hiatus before the current uh, global meltdown has happened. So I really, really hope you enjoyed that episode. Aconcagua is something that I really, really am desperate to go up and go and explore for myself, but it just adds itself to the long list of everywhere else too. I hope you enjoyed that, and if you're listening, um, because you're prepping to go up the mountain yourself, I hope it helped too. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, follow, and share it with a friend. That's a really good way for us to grow as well. If you want to join in with the community, it's at BTM Travel Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, btmtravelpod at gmail.com to email me. But otherwise, have a brilliant day, and I'll see you in the next one.